You know what I'm craving? A little perspective. That's it? I'd like some fresh, clear, well-seasoned perspective. Can you suggest a good wine to go with that? Hello, and welcome to the May 5th, 2023 edition of the TriDoc Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Sankoff, the TriDoc, an emergency physician, triathlon coach, and multiple Ironman finisher coming to you from beautiful, sunny Denver, Colorado. In my opening of the last episode, I spoke of mindset, and I'm sad to say that not long after that discussion of the growth and fixed mindsets, we all had to bear witness to a very unfortunate example of how specifically the fixed mindset can play out on a very big stage. By now, the story of Colin Chartier's positive drug test and suspension is kind of a little bit stale, but by no means off of the front burner as a major issue in triathlon. Personally, I have struggled a little bit with how to address this in my opening for this show because I really do have a lot of thoughts on this and there's simply no way to encapsulate them in such a short time. I think that it is incredibly sad to see this happen in our little niche sport, just as it was looking as though it was having a kind of breakthrough in the public consciousness. But at the same time, I can't say that I was really all that surprised. It's not as though our sport should be any different from any other when it comes to the scourge of performance-enhancing drug use. I think instead, I was more surprised at the fact that it has been so long since we've seen a positive test in the professional ranks, and I was really kind of taken aback at some of the raw and emotional responses put out by some of the pros in response to the news. In many cases, in my mind anyways, they kind of seemed a little bit over the top. In the end, after almost two weeks, it was that part, the responses, that I chose to focus this brief monologue on. Look, in some respects I get it. Here is a guy you know and think highly of, and in the case of Lionel Sanders, someone you train with and maybe even live with him for a short time. And then you find out that it was all a lie, and in some cases you feel that maybe he's stolen money from you by cheating to beat you. I, I truly do understand all of that and how that would lead to some of the angry responses that we've seen. What I don't understand is why now and why only for this? This, after all, is not the first instance of doping in our sport, nor is it even the highest profile case. Think of Nina Kraft after winning the world championship in 2004 as just one example. To me, the bigger issue is why is this the first higher profile case in such a long time? Why aren't there more? Sure, I think we'd all like to think that our sport is cleaner than every other sport out there, but is that realistic? And oh, by the way, has anyone taken a look at the age group results lately? Look, if you're really concerned about integrity in our sport, then why isn't anyone calling for integrity and clean competition at all levels of triathlon and not just for the fastest 1% or so? If you want me to buy into the righteous indignation that is being displayed by some on social media, and not just think of this as a case of, quote, I can't believe what was done to me, end quote, then make this about the much broader issue. I, I did an informal survey on Slow Twitch some time ago, where I asked people to tell me anonymously if they or anyone they knew was taking banned substances for the purpose of improving their performance, and the numbers were unbelievable. 
When I took my results to both Ironman and USA Triathlon at the time, I was told by both of them that there was no money to support age group drug testing, and by USAT anyways, that there was limited will to do so by the organizations who stood to lose registrants and those registrants' entry fees if they embarked upon rigorous age group drug testing. So, is anyone really surprised that a similar survey done much more recently in Europe confirmed the results that I found about a decade ago? Where is the moral outrage over that? Look, I'm upset about Chartier's positive test, no doubt about it, but I think I took it in stride much more than any of the pros did, and I feel as though this was much more of a shoulder shrug amongst most age groupers than the outrage that many of the pros were expressing, because in our minds, This is kind of an endemic issue that no one wants to address, and I find myself wondering how the pros thought that this hasn't been an issue all along. If you want my support in the outrage, then extend the demands for clean sport to everyone, not just to your small group. And while we're at it, maybe share some of that anger with causes that really deserve it, like for every triathlete and road cyclist who gets hit by a car and maimed or killed while training for the sport that we all love? Where's the outrage over that? I don't remember any tearful videos or rage posts over Cat Matthews' nearly fatal collision. Do you? Well, that's my attempt in injecting a little bit of perspective into all of this. I imagine some of you will agree with me, and maybe many more of you won't. Either way, I hope that you'll let me know. I'm always eager for the conversation. On the show today, I'm trying something new for the medical segment. Recently, I trialed a new format and based on the feedback that I received from my test audience, it was considered an improvement. And so today marks the first time that you're all going to hear it on the podcast. In the past, the medical segment has always been just kind of me discussing the science of whatever the topic of the day was in the hopes of conveying information in a manner that was concise and understandable. While I think that I managed to do that in a reasonably successful way most of the time, I confess I might not have been on the mark every time. To try and make this segment more successful and definitely relatable to a broader audience, I've decided to try making this segment into more of a dialogue, a conversation. And so joining me for that is my friend and colleague, life sport coach and multiple world champion at the 70.3 and sprint distances, Juliet Hawkman. On this episode, we're going to discuss the merits of supplementation with ketones as a fuel source. I know that you've all heard that pro cyclists do this, but is there any science to suggest benefit to them or to us? Now, I've covered this once before, but there's a reason I'm bringing it up again. You're going to hear about all of it in a very short while, and I hope that you'll let me know what you think of the new format. Later, I'm joined by the co-executive director of Firstborn, Jennifer O'Keefe. Firstborn may be known to some of you because of its entry into the triathlon world as a provider of support to some of the mothers who are professional triathletes, awarding $25,000 scholarships to their children. Some of the winners so far include Chelsea Sodaro and Sarah True, just to name two of them. But Firstborn is much more than that, and Jennifer tells me about the history of the organization, what it is doing in our industry, and how it hopes to shake things up for coaches and athletes alike. And that conversation is coming up in just a short while. Remember, if you want to reach out to me for any reason to submit a medical question, to engage with me about my opening dialogue, or to provide feedback on the program, you can do so by sending me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com. Or you can join the private TriDoc Podcast Facebook group. Search for the group on Facebook, answer three very easy questions, and I'll give you access so you can join the conversation. Of course, there's 
always the opportunity to become one of my Patreon supporters. The supporters of this podcast have decided that for about the price of a cup of coffee per month, they could sign up to support this program and in so doing, get access to bonus interviews and other segments that come out every month or so. For North American subscribers at the $10 per month level of support, I also have a special thank you gift in the form of a pretty cool Boko TriDoc podcast running hat. So visit my Patreon site today at patreon.com forward slash podcast and become a supporter so that you too can get access and maybe this cool gift as well. And as always, thanks so much in advance just for considering. It's time for the Medical Mailbag, that segment of the program when I'm joined by my friend and colleague, Juliet Hockman, who is going to ask questions that have been submitted by you, my listeners, or things that we've come up with on our own that are, uh, we think of relevance to the average triathlete. Juliet, I understand you have a question for today. I do. Thanks. So I have this question myself, but I've also seen some buzz about it out on our feeds out there about your article in Triathlete Magazine, which said that using the keto diet in older individuals can be really beneficial, particularly with aging, but that when used with athletes, it's not so beneficial. And I'm curious about that because I've also read elsewhere that ketones can be used as additional fuel in training, for example, or for enhancing recovery. And so I'm kind of curious what you think about that. And if you can sort of take that article in triathlete just one step further, particularly since we've seen the use of ketones in bike racing, for example. Yeah, it's uh, it's a great question. And it was an article that generated quite a lot of feedback to me uh, on both on all of my social media, different feeds that I have. First, talk about the article itself, which was a review of a scientific article that looked at the ketogenic diet. It was something that I actually touched on on the podcast, I think a couple of episodes ago. So the ketogenic diet has been theorized to be beneficial in a lot of different ways. And one of the ways that it's been sort of suggested to help is by using ketones as a primary fuel instead of carbohydrates, you change the way your cells metabolize fuel and you actually confer some kind of protection because you're not going through the normal pathways. I'm not going to get into the weeds of all of this, but essentially you're you're utilizing pathways that are used less commonly. You're not generating as many kind of bad metabolites that can cause damage to the cells. And because of this, ketogenic diets have been theorized to confer some kind of protection as your cells age and actually have almost an anti-aging kind of effect. And in animals and even in humans, there are some, there is some evidence that this is true. Exercise also confers a lot of the same benefits that we see with the ketogenic diet. And we've seen this both in animal studies and in human studies that the changes that we see in our mitochondria, which are the little furnaces in our cell that are seen when you have a ketogenic diet, we see similar structural changes in people who age and stay physically active. So it's not so much that you can protect yourselves from aging just by what you eat, but you can also protect yourselves from aging by what you do. The problem with the ketogenic diet and people who are athletically active is that the ketogenic diet changes biochemically how our cells metabolize fuel and actually make us less efficient at performing exercise. So if you are an older individual like myself who wants to be an endurance athlete, the ketogenic diet actually kind of hijacks your cells and makes them less 
effective at metabolizing glucose at, uh, and, and therefore not able to perform exercise at the highest levels that I want to be able to do. And since I'm getting the anti-aging anyways from exercise, I don't need any of those anti-aging benefits from the ketogenic diet. Does that make sense? It does make sense. So is there a way that athletes who are your sort of typical age group triathletes or endurance athletes can use any of those benefits from the ketogenic diet to enhance their training or is it completely mutually exclusive? Well, the ketogenic diet is probably not, well, it's not probably, it definitely is not something that I would advise for anybody who is an endurance athlete. It's just never been shown to be beneficial for uh, endurance athletics. It's never been shown to be beneficial for weight loss or for any of the other things that it has been suggested. Now, this particular paper that I'm talking about definitely showed that in sedentary individuals, people who are not physically active, the ketogenic diet actually did confer some benefits in terms of anti-aging of, at the cellular level. Whether or not that could, that changed into an enhanced lifespan or decreased uh, morbidity from diseases is not totally clear. But if if you know somebody who's a sedentary individual, the ketogenic diet might be something that's useful for them. If you're athletically active, and certainly if you're listening to this podcast, I'm guessing you're attracted athlete or an endurance athlete of some type, then no, the ketogenic diet is definitely not for you. But there are manufacturers of ketone supplementation where ketones themselves can be used as a primary fuel. So now we have to get a little bit into the weeds of how our cells use fuels in order to generate energy so that we can do the things that we want to do. So I've talked a lot on this podcast with different nutritionists by myself, things like that, about how glucose is our preferred primary fuel for when we're doing endurance athletics. The reason for that is because it's burned most efficiently. It produces a lot of adenosine triphosphate, which is the primary storage unit of energy that can then be burned and broken down in order to release a huge amount of energy to make our muscles do what they do. So glucose is always going to be the primary preferred fuel. However, back in 2019, a researcher by the name of Cox, excuse me, back in 2016, a researcher by the name of Cox performed a study in which he gave cyclists ketones as a supplementary fuel on top of the carbohydrates they were taking. And when I say ketones, I'm talking about beta-hydroxybutyrate, acetoacetate, and acetone in some kind of combination, some kind of magical elixir. It's a small amount. It's basically kind of think, imagine one of these little, little vials, things that you've seen beetroot juice in, those little things. It's 30 grams of ketones. And they take these prior to doing their exercise. And Cox was able to show that over a 30-minute time trial, using ketone supplementation, those who took the ketones showed 2% improvement in their time trial distance, putting out the same, putting out more power by about 2% over those people who didn't use ketones. And as you can imagine, when you're talking about the top 10 or 15 in a Tour de France stage, where the difference is less than 2%, often it's 1%, that 2% sounds very, very enticing. And so immediately professional cyclists got onto this and started using it. So, so how does, how is it that the ketones are proposed to, to work? Well, there is a good biological rationale for this. We know that as we exercise, we, re- we require carbohydrates. And then once we get rid of, once we have no more carbohydrates in our blood, we start depleting glycogen and glycogen goes pretty quickly. Well, if you 
can use ketones in your muscle cells, then you are bypassing the need for glycogen. You can actually save the glycogen for later. And what, what ketones do is the way the ketogenic diet works and the way ketone supplements work is ketones are liberated when we burn fat. And you've heard a lot about people who want to become more fat adapted in their metabolism. What they're talking about there is when we work at a very high level of intensity, glucose is our preferred fuel. The reason for that is because it takes a lot of time for our body to metabolize fat and liberate ketones. The ketogenic diet is a way of skipping carbohydrates, not having any carbohydrates. So your body is basically forced into a state where you're just constantly breaking down fat and liberating ketones. So you're constantly in a state of ketosis. Supplementary ketones, what that does is you can still take carbohydrates in. You don't have to metabolize your own fat because instead you're just going to take this little vial of ketones and you're going to add those to the mix. So you're not breaking down your own fats. You're just throwing in these ketones that are coming from an exogenous source. Am I making sense here? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay. So now you've got these exogenous ketones and they drop into your cells and they drop into the mitochondria and they bypass what's called the Krebs cycle. So glucose drops into your mitochondria and goes into what's called the Krebs cycle, which is a very complicated enzymatic process in order to generate ATP. Ketones can drop into the mitochondria, bypass the Krebs cycle and form ATP independently. So it's a way of uh, a secondary route to get ATP. So the theory, the biological theory was if we have exogenous ketones on top of the carbohydrates we're taking, we'll therefore make use of two different energy pathways and get more ATP and potentially save some of our glycogen for when we need it later on down the road. It makes a ton of sense and it seems like it should work. The problem is Cox is the only one who ever showed that it did anything because numerous other studies were done since 2016 and not one of them has ever shown even close to a 2%. In fact, most of them have shown no benefits. Some of them have actually shown detrimental effects where people who took ketones actually had worse outcomes than those who did. So it kind of, it's, it's interesting to me that the pros, at least in the cyclists, continue to use this stuff when there has been no scientific proof beyond that one paper that shows that it actually works. And that's, this is just for in competition. There are other theoretical benefits for using ketones as well. So do you have a sense of how professional cyclists who have sort of proclaimed the glories of using ketones in competition are using them? Are they using them on top of carbs? Are they using them before traditional carbs after? I mean, you've talked about how, maybe if we use ketones effectively, they are saving those glycogen stores for later. But, you know, talk to me sort of practically here, if we know the data in terms of what does this really look like over the course of a three, four, five hour race? I mean, are they mixing them? (laughs) Are they before, after? How's it work? Well, they've been pretty quiet about how they're using them. It still remains a source of a lot of secrecy. It's not really clear how they're using them, but I could tell you how they're used in these scientific studies. And that is basically they're used just before the intense effort is going to happen. And then they're used a half an hour before bed. 
And the reason for doing it just before is because the, the thought is, is that that is at the point where your glycogen is getting low. And so you are going to take some carbohydrate in your drink, but then also throw some ketones on top of it. And my sense is that the professional cyclists are probably taking it just before they hit the base of some of these big climbs that based on what I've read in these studies, based on how it's being used, that that makes the most sense. The reason for taking it before bedtime is because there are there's another body of research related to ketone ester supplementation, which is all about recovery. And there's one study, again, there's a whole bunch of studies on this, but there's one in particular that seemed to show benefit, and that's the one that everybody's latching on to. And in fact, after my article came out, one of the people who reached out to me was the manufacturer of one of these ketone supplement uh, drinks and was very insistent that this particular paper was all the evidence I needed to make me understand that ketone esters really were worth everything that that they were saying. And so I dug into this paper and the, the title of the paper is Ketone Ester Supplementation Blunts Overreaching Symptoms During Endurance Training Overload. And I want to dive into that title a little bit because it's important. I think you and I both understand as coaches that one of the ways to make our athletes get better is we have to push them to a point that they're overreaching. We want them to have a training load that pushes them to the point that they're going just a little bit past their capacity, at least some of the time. But we always face that kind of fine line. If we push them too hard, they're always at risk of getting into a, an overload state where they become overtrained and then they lose all of those benefits. Instead, they start having problems with not being able to recover effectively. They're not able to sleep. They lose weight. Their heart rate goes up. All of those negative effects of overtraining. And so the theory that Poff, the author in this paper, took was that by using ketones, it's potentially possible that your cells will make use of an alternative fuel during the intense exercise, but also giving ketones late at night will also help with allowing for better recovery because there is this theory that ketone supplementation is going to increase the conversion rate of glucose to glycogen and promotes muscle glycogen replenishment. It's also thought that ketones can potentially attenuate some of the molecular things that happen to muscle muscle protein after intense exercise and therefore push muscles into a state of repair. So a lot of really good things that ketones sure. seem to do. Yeah, yeah right? Yeah. The problem is, okay, so here's the study. The study basically looked at a small number of cyclists and uh, these cyclists were essentially uh, evaluated over a three-week period. Half of the cyclists got ketones half of the cyclists didn't. And what they found was giving ketones prevented the development of overtraining during a strenuous endurance training program. And this was reflected by lower nighttime concentrations of some of the hormones and some of the markers in the blood that we would see that can reflect these things. They also felt that giving ketones allowed for these athletes to tolerate a significantly higher amount of workload in the third week of the study, leading to improved overall uh, training workload and outcomes in terms of their time trial performance. So that's great. 
there were significant problems with this study. Most of the people who have looked at this study have said, well, not so fast. Actually, when you look at what these athletes were actually doing during the three weeks, they weren't really pushed into an overtraining state. And none of them actually showed any demonstrated effects that would suggest that they were actually overtrained in any capacity. And if you look at the results in the study, the amount of difference between the control group and the uh, experimental group is not that great and is influenced a lot by one outlier in the control group that was a lot lower than everybody else. So it became a, a, a point of controversy. And Moreover, this paper was done in 2019, and several other studies since then have been unable to duplicate these findings. Mm. So we're back to square one. We are. All right. So taking all of that, which is really interesting, what would you recommend for your athletes? If they're curious about not doing a ketone diet per se, but using ketones on top of, sorry, not doing a ketogenic diet per se, but using ketones on top of other fuel that they're already using for larger training blocks, larger rides, runs, etc. what would you recommend we do? Well, I think I recommend first and foremost that you consider the cost. Okay. So uh, that's really important here. I think that's something we haven't talked about. So in all of these studies, the protocols are 30 grams of ketones once before exercise and then once before bed, about 30 minutes before bed. 30 grams of ketones based on my looking on Amazon and looking at the manufacturers that I have found, these they come as a 30-gram bottle, $37 American. So it's $37 per treatment. So that's... That's basically $75 a day, day that you yeah. want to do this. Yeah. yeah. And and remember, these these studies were three weeks long. So you're talking... I mean, I, I quick math. I mean, that's like a thousand bucks. So right. that's for three weeks of training. And you can't just do this in a race. It's something that you right. have to train your body to be able to do. Given the limited amount of evidence that suggests this does anything whatsoever, my recommendation is that there is no need to spend that kind of money on this. I, I think that if if you have that kind of disposable income and are, are interested in finding out if this is something that works for you, by all means, but because again, I, I can only report on what the science shows for populations, whether or not that's going to work for any individual differently, I can't predict. But the science would suggest that this is not going to be any kind of miracle that the Tour de France guys who have obviously a budget that is much higher than you or I, they can afford to try this and they can afford to use this in their training. I would love to know what their real world results are. I just don't think we're going to actually find that out in any meaningful way. Well, and I was going to bring that up too. I mean, the, the variety of athlete that this has been tried on is so limited. We're talking about just professional cyclists. We don't know if there are differences for different age groups or for men versus women or any of these longer course versus shorter course. So, I mean, there's just not enough data out there, it sounds like. That is absolutely correct. And there are a couple other things that have been thrown in the mix in, ter in terms of how this might actually work. There's some thoughts that, oh, ketones are used by your brain and ketones might actually improve cognitive function. But again, very scant evidence. None of it's suggestive of anything miraculous here. And to me, 
I could use that thousand bucks over three weeks for a lot better things that probably will work a lot better. <laughs> well, Juliet, this has been a great conversation. I really appreciate the question. And uh, if you uh, who are listening to this have a question that you want Juliet to ask me, I hope that you'll consider sending it in. You can email it to tri underscore doc at icloud.com, or you could submit it at the private TriDoc Podcast Facebook group. Search for the group on Facebook, answer the three easy questions. I'll grant you admittance and you can join the conversation there. Juliet, thanks so much. We'll see you again on the next episode. Thanks, Jeff. My guest on the podcast today is Jennifer O'Keefe. Jen was a former collegiate swimmer at Loyola University in Maryland and turned professional triathlete in 2018 after back-to-back podium finishes at the 70.3 World Championships and the Ironman World Championships in Kona. While her true love is swimming, after taking on a friendly bet with a neighbor to complete in Ironman, she was hooked. Since turning pro, Jennifer has competed in seven 70.3 races with a top 10 finish at Eagleman, along with numerous open water swim races, the longest being a 12-mile swim around Charleston and a 3.5-mile swim, The Loop, with results as first overall female in the midst of 2020. The love of running came with triathlon, leading Jennifer to two Boston Marathon finishes. Jen and another upcoming guest of this podcast, Michelle Lake, are the executive directors of Firstborn, a co-op dedicated to athletes and coaches that's focused on providing training and hospitality experiences. But they do so much more, and that's what we're going to talk about for the next little while. Jen, welcome to the TriDoc Podcast. Thanks, Jeff, for having me. So, Jen, I... I want to begin first with what is the history of Firstborn? I think a lot of people have probably seen some of the uh, social media posts, but I, I think a lot of people like me are probably wondering where did this come from and uh, what's the genesis of it? Yeah, absolutely. So really started with these two fantastic, unique, uh, wonderful people, Amy and Michael Freschetti, who live in Charlotte, North Carolina. And they really wanted to kind of generate this, uh, reinvent the American farm. So kind of thinking about like a co-op that's dedicated to athletes, coaches, and endurance sport. Kind of an idea too that they're hoping is just going to outlive us all and it's going to continue and continue, you know, through the years to kind of offer this this amazing experience for for kind of thinking about unsung heroes, coaches, right, in the sport of endurance, endurance athletes and and the, and the world and kind of that training support and all the work that they do to kind of get results for their athletes and, and kind of help them by developing this kind of training farm where people can come visit all inclusive and yeah, and have, have such a unique experience with good company. And are Michael and Amy themselves multi-sport enthusiasts? Yes, they both have done quite a few um, 70.3s and Ironmans. Um, so they do love the sport as well. And the name Firstborn, where did that come from? Great question. So I get asked this question a lot, and there's and there's actually a few different definitions of the of so born. Of course, I guess we should clarify because some people think it's B O R N, but it's actually B O U R N. Has a couple different definitions. So one of the definitions is a physical space, so a sense of place, kind of a boundary, um, which is what the farm is, right? So this unique kind of space. Another definition of the word born, B-O-U-R-N, or U-R-N, is a goal or a destination. So when you think about training and you think about an athlete, you're thinking about your personal goals, your personal destinations, like your personal potential, like how far can you go? And that's what we like to offer, right? How far can you go when you come to these camps? How can you better yourself? And then also just, it's also another definition is a small stream. 
And so thinking about like seasons and seasonalities of like of athletes and their trainings and their racing and their own personal journeys. So a couple different, a couple different backgrounds of that word. Well, who would have thought you could get so much into one word and how it would all come together so nicely into exactly what this company embodies. I really like that. Now, the repurposing of these farms to become locations for triathlon camps, my understanding is you have two so far. Is that correct? That's correct. Yep. One in um, Marion near Mount Mitchell, North Carolina, and one in outside of Virginia, kind of more towards Roanoke. Roanoke. Yeah, towards the, the upper upper end of the parkway. And can you give us a sense of what these locations will offer for triathletes? Yeah, I I find them to be a bunch of both locations and kind of ridden and and experienced training on both of them. I will say they offer different different venues. The one in North Carolina is definitely Mount Mitchell is right really close by. And if you didn't know, Mount Mitchell is the one of the highest. It is the highest peak on the East Coast, and so that is offering you obviously some pretty intense pretty challenging elevation while riding while the Virginia side is a little bit more rolling hills. It's um, more towards that, again, that original beginning portion of the parkway. So a little bit more rolling. It makes me, it reminds me like Chattanooga, like coming the ups and downs. So those are, that's the two biggest, that, that the one in Virginia is actually nestled right on the parkway. Like the driveway to the property is right off of the parkway. So you walk off the driveway and you're on the Blue Ridge to ride, run, whatever it may be. In North Carolina, the one near Mount Mitchell, it's about two miles from the parkway, nestled in the mountains, but you you can you can ride up straight up to the parkway or drive. So I would say those are the two big differences. And the way Firstborn is set up is Firstborn doesn't itself provide camps. It's They provide the locations and the facilities and all of the support services. And then it's companies or coaches or athletes themselves that come and do the camps in these locations, correct? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty, pretty much. Yep. So we have the property. That's right. We have all of the offerings, right? The the food and nutrition, the training support, the SAG, the supplies, the gear. It also goes beyond just the physical, right? It goes into like, we offer this partnership where we're kind of working and, and in this like relationship with each other to, to, to help each other, right? Kind of definition of a partnership, like firstborn is helping coaches and coaches are helping firstborn and we're kind of working together to generate awareness and also just generate the awareness of this amazing facility that, that we have to offer. Um, but we also do coordinate everything. So when a coach uh, or a team decides to come on board and, and do a camp, I think one of the things I hear from a lot of coaches is that it's so much effort and so much time to plan these camps. Like, where am I going to stay? Where are we going to eat? What if somebody has allergies? Where are we going to train? But we do all of that for you. So that's actually mine and Michelle's role is to plan those camps um, for the coach. Of course, working together collaboratively, like what are you looking for? What kind of experience do you want? But but that's what we offer. And so the coach really, it's turnkey. You just need to show up. Your athletes just need to show up and pretty much the rest is done for you. And I am as a huge proponent of camps. I love participating in them as an athlete. I have really enjoyed coaching at them over the last couple of years. And I see this as just a fantastic opportunity for coaches, as you said, because I know now from firsthand experience how hard they can be to plan in terms of finding routes and finding places to swim and finding running routes and locations for people to stay. And and just knowing that that can all be taken care of just sounds like a terrific opportunity for any coach or any team that's looking to have a camp. Do Because of the location, 
I would imagine open water swimming is going to be restricted to certain times of the year. Do both of these locations have access to pools if people wanted to be there outside of the true open water swimming time? But because you can ride in Virginia, North Carolina earlier than you can swim. So will there be access to pools for times that people might want to have a camp that is still time good times to ride, but maybe not swim in open water? Yeah, absolutely. So definitely have the open water options. And like we had a camp last week right now, the, the water temperature I think was 66. Doable, cold, but doable. But yeah, we do have two. There are YMCAs in both locations that are maybe like anywhere from 25 to 30 minute drive. But we've been so lucky. The YMCAs, they open up their facility to our campers ahead of time. They're They're really gracious and kind of allow us to use their facilities, knowing what our background is and what we're trying to provide for the community. And you mentioned nutrition. So do you have like cooks on site or is that these are, I I assume some of this stuff is a la carte where teams can, and coaches can come in and choose what services they want. So what are the food options that, that are available and how have some people decided to do things differently? Yeah. Well, I will say we have not had a camp that has not been part of the nutrition or the the meal factor because what happens is is we do we do have a chef and so all of the meals are planned ahead of time with the coach so we I had a coach that said I want carb 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 pancakes bread all day long and so we planned like a high carb they were there for a week so for a week our chef was coming in with like lasagnas and you name it all the 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 big big carbohydrates but then most recent camp we had was there was a lot of gluten allergies and so we had to actually develop a menu together that would suit all of the participants. And so we do have a chef, they they prepare all the, like I said, the menus are decided ahead of time, the coach has access to the menu, and they say this looks great, no change this, etc. And then they come three times per day, drop off breakfast, lunch, dinner, which is great. The food's amazing. I've had it myself. But then also nutrition, Jeff, like you said, as for training nutrition. So we work with the feed. And again, ahead of time, the coach says, this is, these are the, these are the types of things that we we'd like to have on store. And so every, every morning the athletes wake up and there's a basket full of their nutrition for the day for training. And this is all just factored into the price athletes pay. They don't come. There's nothing that's added on after the fact. It's whatever they pay up front, that's covering everything for the time that they're there. That's correct. And do coaches have to pay anything for setting up their camp or are they just coming in and, and availing themselves of your services to get athletes to come and join them? Nope, there is no cost for coaches. The coaches do not have to pay to get started or to have us work together. And then coaches also come for free and stay. So they are coming, accommodation, food, everything that's included for campers is free of cost to two coaches typically per squad. But I think the even even bigger piece of some of this is that the coaches actually generate revenue for their own business. And so coaches are actually paid um, by firstborn for hosting. And so depending on how many athletes come, they are receiving a benefit revenue prior to camp starting based on how many athletes and are attending the camp. Yeah, I think that's that is a really terrific model and something that can make coaching businesses so much more sustainable and certainly so much better for coaches to put in that effort to have camps. Because as I've said, and I already said once in our conversation, that how much I believe camps are of a benefit to both athletes and coaches. And I think this is going to make it so much easier for coaches to take that step of saying, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and do this 
And uh, it, it makes it so much easier also for athletes to then come, not have to worry about anything because their accommodations are all taken care of. Everything's all factored in. And uh, it just looks like such a great setup. I've seen some of the pictures of the two properties and they really do look pretty and in a, a really nice place. I'm hoping to get out there at some point, of course, being in Colorado, a little bit further removed, but uh, we can hope that uh, maybe we'll get to have one of our camps there at some point. I know Firstborn does a lot of other things because the way I first heard of Firstborn was not actually related to the camps, but instead was related to a scholarship fund that I saw advertised on Instagram, where Firstborn was granting money to some of the professional women who are moms. Can you tell us a little bit about that program? Yeah, absolutely. So this program was actually invented or kind of manifested through Amy, who is Michael's wife. And so she was just being in the sport and being a mom of three. She was like, how these women who are professionals and they dedicate, this is their career, right? This is how they generate their income. When they have, when they decide to have a family, what happens? They can't obviously train and compete. And so Amy wanted to kind of give back to that. And they had uh, four women who have had recently had babies within the last year or so and um, awarded those um, children um, a $25,000 um, grant to um, or fund for their college education um, when they um, begin their education after high school. Um, and so it was just such a uh, incredible idea that came to fruition and these athletes have been just, it's been really incredible to watch them experience this gift and, and their appreciation and really just even go, reflecting on their own time going to college when they were younger and whether it was being an athlete or paying for college on their own or whatnot. So I think it, it landed pretty, pretty well and was quite a success. A heart coming straight yeah, from the heart. It's an, yeah, it, it's an amazing concept and something that I think is really important. Is there any thought of extending it to, to male athletes? I mean, some of the men out there, I'm sure, are facing some of the same thoughts and issues. For sure. Yeah. Especially since, right, there's such a huge help as far as in those baby years. I don't know about that, but it's a great question. Definitely something that is food for thought. Yeah. And I think that Probably people would say, well, the, the men at the top of the game, and there's probably more money out there for the men in terms of endorsements and sponsorships. I, I, I don't know what the math is. I don't know how true that is. I see a lot of the top women in our, in our sport getting a lot of endorsements and a lot of support right now. But if uh, there is a disparity still between genders, then clearly it would make a lot more sense to have this uh, only go to women athletes. But I would be curious to know if, if there is equity now or more equity than there was previously, it would be nice to see because we do know some some of the, the men, Lionel Sanders, Sam Long, both come to mind, both have young babies and are out there on the circuit right now. I don't know if their wives are working and able to generate income as well. So mm -hmm. those are just interesting thoughts. And so who were the, I know there's been three that have been awarded to the scholarship so far. Can you tell us who they are? Yeah. So there was four women who were, four, yeah, four right. who were, so the first one was Lauren Goss. Like we all know she's a professional runner, quite amazing, single mom as well. Um, Sarah Pampiano was one of our professional triathletes. Sarah True was also awarded and Chelsea Sodaro. So that was pretty exciting. And I know that Chelsea came on board prior to her Kona win. So I know that we were really thrilled that she was 
how well she did. And of course, what, a, what an accomplishment. Yeah. And what are the criteria by which the women are selected for this? That's a good question. I wasn't really part of that process. I know that there was a pretty in-depth um, process as far as how they applied and interviews. And it wasn't just lightly done. It was There was a lot of thought and consideration put into those four candidates that were awarded the funds. And this is not an insignificant amount of money. Where Where is the funding for all of this coming from? I don't know the answer to that question. This was really Amy's baby, quote unquote baby. <laughs> so I'm not really sure. Like she, she, that would be a great question to ask Amy and to just have some more information about that because it is fairly new. And the funding for Firstborn in general, is, is that also all privately funded? Is there is sponsorships involved? Yeah, we have quite, we have sponsorships, we have some investors, and we do have just, we also have brand partnerships as well. And so some of the things even in, in some of the farms like bed gear and the coffee or the, the the kitchens, things like that have, have also had some brand brand sponsorships as well. So yeah, it's kind of been a village of opportunity and just kind of pulling it all together. And yeah, that's quite amazing. And what does the future hold for Firstborn? Where can we expect to see the company go? Will there be additional farms in other areas? Do you think there'll be an expansion more West? Good question. So as far as expanding West, mainly going to be that we're going to be on the East coast and all situated on the Blue Ridge Parkway. So as of now, the vision is, will be along that Blue Ridge Parkway area. So right now there's two properties up and running, but we have four others that are down in the pipeline. So over the years, like we would like to see, we'll see the vision and the goal would be for these other properties to be opening up and functioning in the same type of, same type of venue that we have now, right? The all-inclusive, probably some different experiences depending on which property you go to. I know that there's swimming pools that are going to be provided at some of the properties. And so that is all kind of coming down the pipeline. But I think even beyond that is the the general reinventing and the partnership and the, the training experiences and that immersion is is the goal is that that's going to outlive us all. Is that that's just going to continue. This is something that just will continue on for longer than our own um, lifetime. So that's kind of the goal as far as physical and mentality. That's pretty amazing stuff. And and what is going to be done with those properties during the wintertime when camps might not be able to happen because of road conditions and snow and just weather in general? Will those properties be used for other things? Yeah. So even beyond triathlon, I think our bigger picture is corporate team bonding. Um, we have yoga instructors that are interested in coming out and holding camps there. So, I mean, beyond just like training and triathlon, utilizing the property for multi-purpose, right? Bigger picture. We have we have some coaches that are coming out. It's a, simply a coach's retreat. So, right, so that can happen. Of course, Everybody would prefer to be in warm weather, but maybe, maybe not. Some snow people that do enjoy the colder weather, but so corporate retreat, coaches retreat, business retreats. That's some of the other portions of Firstborn that maybe we don't hear as much because we're so involved in sport. But yeah, so there's a lot of personalized experiences happening as well. So during those winter months, during some of that off training time, there's so many places to go hiking and explore in those small town kind of mountainside. We're only 50 minutes from Asheville. So there's there's skiing and all of that other kind of opportunity that can happen in the winter as well. That's amazing. 
So apart from Firstborn, Jen, what what are you up to these days? I gather you're not racing professionally anymore. Are you still involved in triathlon? I think my best answer for that is I'm still involved in triathlon. I'm still training as if I'm involved in triathlon. I'm just not competing in triathlon. So this Firstborn experience, not to go back to Firstborn, but kind of came at like this this like such so, so, so an amazing time in my life where I was kind of getting out of that competition piece and then had this opportunity to like continue to be part of the sport in a different kind of way uh, by helping athletes, helping coaches um, kind of with personalized and, and awesome experiences. So, yeah, so I guess still training my brains out, but more for life, right? Yeah, that's well, that's a big reason why I think we all do it, right? It's just a matter of how much life involves a finish line, I suppose. Do you think uh, you'll continue swimming as you have done with these big swim events? Are you going to continue running like marathons? I'm starting to get the itch to do something. So I've kind of added some structure back into my life. I will always or I will never turn down an open water swim. I'm like actually looking for some type of crazy 10 or 12k swimming race so if you have any suggestions let me know <laughs> oh yeah no i i definitely do not keep my finger on the pulse of those kinds of events that's <laughs> i'm not the person to ask about anything longer than the 2.4 <laughs> miles <laughs> but if i hear anything i'll let you know <laughs> okay. Yeah. well jen i can't thank you enough for taking some time to chat with me today about firstborn about your own career and really just a, a fascinating business model for something that triathlon and multi-sport really has been missing and it's this a la carte kind of one-stop shop for setting up camps and retreats and uh, i really foresee this as being a huge success and as i said i I very much hope to get there personally sometime uh in the near future jen o'keefe thank you again for your time i really appreciated the conversation and i look forward to uh chatting with you again sometime soon Yeah, me as well, Jeff. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here, part of the TriDoc series. And that's it for another episode. The TriDoc podcast is produced and edited by me, Jeff Sankoff, along with my interns. I'm Agent Johnson. This is Special Agent Johnson. Oh, how you doing? (laughs) No relation. I'm, uh... I'm Jeff Sankoff, uh, the, the Tri-Doc. I'm in charge here. Not anymore. Those interns are Ian Johnson and Ben Johnson. You can find the show notes for everything discussed on the show today, as well as archives of previous episodes at tridocpodcast.com. Do you have questions about any of the issues discussed on this episode, or do you have a question that you'd like for me to consider answering on a future episode? Send me an email at tri underscore doc at icloud.com or join the private TriDoc Podcast Facebook group on Facebook and you can submit your questions there. If you're interested in coaching services, please visit tridoccoaching.com or lifesportcoaching.com where you can find a lot of information about me and the services that I provide. You can also follow me on the TriDoc Podcast Facebook page, TriDoc Coaching on Instagram, and the TriDoc Coaching YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this podcast, I hope that you'll consider leaving me a rating and a review, as well as subscribe to the show wherever you download it. And of course, there's always the option of becoming a supporter of the podcast at patreon.com forward slash Podcast. The music heard at the beginning and the end of the show is Radio by Empty Hours and is used with permission. 
This song and many others like it can be found at ReverbNation.com, where I hope that you'll visit and give small independent bands a chance. The TriDoc Podcast will be back again soon with another medical question for me to answer and another interview with someone in the world of multisport. Until then, remember 1121 and train hard, train healthy.